News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, if you want to see Journey this year, you actually can. Just go down to Las Vegas. That's one of the residencies going on there. Not with Steve Perry, obviously, but apparently the person they've got replacing Steve Perry is phenomenal. So there, there's a concert you can put on your list. We are talking about concerts today. What is the next one you have on your list? You're thinking, you know what, when that person comes to town... I'm going to go and see them. We're talking about this uh, with Prem Gill from Creative BC coming up a little later on the show. Right now, our Raji Sohal is with us. And I want to know, Raji, what is the next concert on your list? <laughs> Don't make fun of me, okay? Oh, Simi? I'm going to. <laughs> you probably will. But I've been hanging on to this one for a couple of years because I'm a late fan uh, to the greatness of Celine Dion. <laughs> Simi, are you still there? <laughs> I'm a little speechless because honestly, I did not expect that. Like I, res- I totally respect that because I know people who will have repeatedly gone down to see Celine Dion, like down in Las Vegas when you know, the residency's there, who made it like a yearly thing to go down there. And I okay. respect that. I'm sure I've heard she puts on an amazing show. And honestly, you know, you can't really argue with how many hit songs that she's had. Exactly. So although I wasn't a fan, and I'll go so far as to say I actually really disliked her music and her whole per- over-performance. Don't be a snob. Don't be a snob. I was Richie. a snob. I'm telling you, I was a snob. And then something happened a few years ago where she actually just started to really own how, you know, cheesy she could over the top, be. Yeah. yeah, over the top, melodramatic. And then I was on board. I love women who are about no apologies when they are on stage and the whole like that, you know, pumping her own chest with her fist and, you know, (laughs) pointing to the sky. Especially when she sings, my heart will go on when she does that. Yeah. I will sing it with her. I guarantee you that. See, this is exactly. concert with me. I will. This is exactly what I admire about Celine Dion, right? It's not necessarily like from way back when, but it is just that, is that she owns it. She is what she is and she owns it and she knows it. And I respect that. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was in Las Vegas and she was still had her residency there and we were walking by the theater and they had the big signs there. And so I turned to my family and I was like, come on, guys, let's go see if there's any like tickets for tonight to go and see Celine Dion. And three three of them are like, no, okay. <laughs> no. So I was like, well, I don't want to go by myself, but they just didn't see the fun in it. You know, I was kind of like, come on, it'll be fun. And I think that's what it is. Sometimes you just want to go see something that is fun. Also, what a good show to see to break the whole pandemic, you know, drought of concerts that we haven't been able to see. But I've been looking online for the rollout of concert announcements, and I've been finding that it's actually really um, contradictory. It's I'm choppy, finding, yeah. you know, it's choppy. I'm finding, you know, different dates and sometimes a couple of instances, different venues. So um, I'm definitely going to be making sure that I don't show up somewhere before exactly. before I know for sure who's coming. But Tame Impala is supposed to come and I'm really psyched to see them. And then I saw that Ricky Gervais is coming to town. And if I got tickets to that, I would be thrilled. See, you're already making plans. See, I I, there's not a lot that I would go and see, I think. I'm still a little bit nervous about the idea of being like in a big arena with a whole bunch of people. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not letting myself get overly excited because I think that we have to be flexible about these dates. Just I mean, there's a reason we're finding that online the announcements are kind of choppy is because uh, you know, they've all had to scramble, venues have to scramble, artists have had to scramble and figure out like what they can still do, what they can still go ahead with. I think what I'm gonna do is like probably test the waters with like and don't make fun of me again. But classical music, like oh, I'll no, probably go see, I would love to see like a performance of Bach's music or, you know, just, I would love to go hear some cello live or piano live. And then that way I could slowly get myself a little bit more psyched for these really big shows. That I can see, right? Nobody's going to be standing on their seats, lighting, holding up their <laughs> cell phone with a light on it during some classical music, although that would really be something. I can Or like see belting that. out next to you, right? Yeah, exactly. Aspirating into the air next to you, yeah. Well, I would love to hear from people too about what the next concert is on their list. I know the Rolling Stones left us off their list now because they had to rework their travel schedule, mm-hmm. but you know, Elton John is still coming to town, so there will be some big acts coming through in the next couple of years. What is on your list? What concert are you looking forward to going and seeing? Let me know. Simi at cknw.com. So there's a lot going on out there for us to talk about Raji. I know you're also talking about, and I can't even believe the headline in this story. Oh um, yeah. Activewear that they say prevents COVID-19, but obviously does not. Obviously does not. Let's be really clear about that. Yes. An Australian activewear company has been making and selling clothes that they claim eliminate and stop the spread of COVID. Well, they've gotten in really big trouble. Um, They've been fined uh, for the false um, remarks about their clothing. Do you know how much they got fined? Five million Australian dollars. Now that is a serious fine. We, I can't imagine that something COVID related here involving a you know, not a major retailer would be fined that much. In fact, see me when there was that whole controversy about the couple that uh, traveled to receive the vaccine early, right. their fine was, I mean, it was a couple a thousand dollars, I think. Comparison. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this is a very serious uh, fine. And I love to see it. I'm here for the really big fine. Oh, yeah. Because they claimed that their clothing was, quote, here to protect you, that they had uh, this groundbreaking technology that could, you know, reduce all pathogens completely. I mean, if that was really the case, then what you're selling is superhero wear and uh, we'd all be signing up for it, right? Also, is so, all of that activewear going to be covering your face? Because otherwise, I, I like, it, doesn't make, <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense, right? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, it's like leggings and sports bras. And That's not how you t-shirts. catch COVID. Like, you know, <laughs> but you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, before Instagram and Facebook came up with that COVID-19 disclaimer sticker that they put on everyone's posts, if they mentioned anything about COVID-19, during that first brief period, I was seeing a lot of stuff like this. I was seeing, I remember I saw one kind of mask uh, that was being sold that claimed to get rid of someone's COVID if they already had it. I remember seeing something about uh, a gloves that could reduce pathogens. Um, so all That's sorts crazy. of ridiculous claims. And we know that so much misinformation spread so quickly because of social media. So I love to see uh, companies being <laughs> dished out these massive fines for lying to people. That's what it is, yeah. right? Misleading advertising. I think yeah. we're getting better at that though, don't you? Uh, not, I'm not just talking about like COVID too. I'm thinking about even in years past, like makeup ads and all that kind of stuff that we, they're much more realistic now because we have come to the conclusion that, listen, you can't just go around saying whatever you want in advertising. 
I disagree. Really? I think we, yeah, I think we have made some progress, but knowing people in that industry, in the advertising industry and how it all works, there are lots of loopholes that they're always all trying to still use. So, uh, I'm a little really? bit more pessimistic. Yeah. Now I want to hear those <laughs> stories that you're telling me that you're not sharing. Well, even things, even things like, uh, you know, I found out that makeup companies, um, if they're, if say if they're using a certain makeup in an advertisement and they're advertising that makeup, they are still allowed to use a different makeup brand on the model. So long what? as it's, yeah, so long as it's not more makeup than the makeup advertised. That doesn't make any sense at all. It totally doesn't. And I heard also about how uh, a clothing retailer used someone else's clothes in their advertisement and it was permissible. That doesn't I mean, make any sense. That's like making an ad about how great Coca-Cola tastes, but you're actually using Pepsi in the commercial. Yeah. Well, I think it's always about ratios and proportionalities. So like it could be that they make, a, you know, a jean, a denim that's very similar, um, but one of the models is wearing a different one, something like that, while the real one still appears. Just, just all these kind of like weird nuances, right. you know? Yeah, and in advertising. Um, I heard a similar one about hair color too. So... Don't yeah, get me I've started always... on hair color ads. Do not get me started on that. Listen, <laughs> uh, coming up, though, uh, in our 8 o'clock hour, you're going to be talking about, what, wildfire air pollution? Yeah, Simi. You know, I have been so excited to get out and to exercise and exercise with friends and to go running with other people. I've been waiting a long time for this. And then I felt like, okay, during the heat dome, we're told not to exercise, so I won't. And then now with wildfires, we're not meant to exercise too hard outside. Um, and we're supposed to avoid all time outside entirely if uh, if you can avoid it. And when the index obviously is, is poor air quality, right. showing poor air quality. So um, I wanted to get the, the facts behind it all because surely we can't all stay at home and become sedentary just well, exactly. because uh, the air is of poor quality. So I talked to a physician scientist and he kind of broke it down for me. Okay. I look forward to hearing about that. Raji, thank you. Thanks, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the federal liberals have been taking some hits the last couple of weeks for some contracts awarded to, you know, party insiders kind of a thing. But turns out they're not the only ones. David Aiken has a great piece at globalnews.ca this morning that shows the conservatives might have some questions to answer here, too. And David Aiken, our global news chief political correspondent, joins us now for more on that. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, Simi. How you doing? Good. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us about your story here. So what was going on in the conservative party? Well, I guess, uh, <laughs> let me illustrate this with a tweet that just went out from the Conservative Party Twitter account. This is the Conservative Party Twitter account. This went out just, uh, just not a half an hour ago or so. And it says, Trudeau and the Liberals are busy helping insiders and friends with contracts and jobs. It's time to clean up Ottawa. That's from the Conservative Party Twitter account. And I guess they didn't see the story that I had online, which said, I'll, if I put that tweet back, um, O'Toole and the Conservatives are busy helping insiders and friends with contracts and jobs. That's what we've turned out. And it's, it's all part of a public disclosure on the House of Commons website. In the first six months of Aaron O'Toole's job as leader of the official opposition, he gave out nearly $240,000 worth of taxpayer-funded contracts to 
people who worked on his leadership campaign, his friends, conservatives, insiders, um, got those contracts. And yet he, he and other MPs on the conservative side have been uh, calling for ethics investigations and demanding a pound of flesh because the Trudeau liberals, well, they did much the same thing. They used taxpayer-funded dollars to hire you know, liberal-connected firms to do polling and research and, and strategy. It's it's sort of a normal thing. None of that is illegal. You can you know there's a certain amount of money that the House of Commons gives parliamentarians to do their work, and you know uh, they have some reporting guidelines they have to follow and some other rules. But they're free to hire who they want. And you would expect you know a liberal MP is going to hire a liberal-minded pollster or a liberal-minded communications advisor, and a conservative is going to hire a conservative-minded communications pollster, et, et so on. But the problem here is the I guess the hypocrisy yes. in that. O'Toole's been yelling and screaming about Trudeau doing, and lo and behold, um, he's done exactly the same thing. Yeah, this one just really confuses me, right? Because if you know you're doing this, if this is something that is done in politics, then why make an issue out of it for the other party when you know perfectly well that your people are probably doing the same thing? And, 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 you know, it's just really blown up. I should point out, I went through the contracts that, say, Jagmeet Singh, the new Democrat leader, handed out. I think there was two to... You know, I don't know if I call them insiders. It's, you know, to uh, one woman who's a policy document person who worked for the Jack Layton campaigns for the year. So really a party operative. But again, as I say, I think that's probably people would expect that. A new Democrat's not going to hire a conservative to write a new Democrat policy document. The other thing here, Simi, too, that and and really what got me looking at these contracts was – there's a, there's a nominate, there's nomination races happening across the, the country, of course, because we might have an election. It, there's a riding in Ontario, a riding called Simcoe North. It's one of the most conservative ridings in the country. And there's a nomination race there that's, that's going to wrap up this weekend. Whoever wins the conservative nomination race probably becomes the MP. So all the stakes are in the nomination contest. There's four people running. One of them is a guy named Adam Chambers. Adam used to work for Jim Flaherty, the former finance minister. He has a lot of friends inside the party associated with the Harper era. These would be libertarians, some progressive conservatives, and so on. He's likely to lose to a social conservative candidate that is being basically managed by Aaron O'Toole's chief of, uh, deputy chief of staff, a guy named Steve, or Steve Outhouse. The big picture here is those friends within the party who wanted that Adam Chambers to win don't want more SOCONs inside the Conservative caucus. That's been one of the tensions inside the Mm -hmm. Conservative caucus, the social conservatives versus other conservatives. And so they have been complaining that why is O'Toole's deputy chief of staff earning a fee, and these are not taxpayer fees, these are fees paid by donors to campaigns, why is he engaged in nomination battles and trying to load the caucus with more SOCONs. And in fact, as we found out, this guy, Steve Outhouse, um, who ran, I should point out, Leslin Lewis's campaign. Remember Leslin Lewis? Yes. Who's third in the leadership who race? did well. Very strong. Did well. She's, she's running in the riding of her own. Um, and Steve ran that campaign. He's a very smart campaigner. So people, not just that SOCON in Simcoe North, but there are nine, nine races in electoral districts across the country where Steve Outhouse's company, separate from his work for inside the, the O'Toole's office, he is trying to get huh. other, his friends elected. And that's, uh, so that's produced some tension within the Conservative Party and people are not happy that he's allowed to do this work while he's I'll collecting bet. his $160,000 a year job. 
as the Deputy Chief of Staff to O'Toole, which is a job you and I pay for. No kidding. All right, David, thank you so much for this great story. Hey, all online if you want to. Get, it is a little complicated, and I encourage you, <laughs> globalnews.ca, it's right there. It is. That's David Aiken. Thank you, our Global News Chief Political Correspondent. Check out his story today at globalnews.ca. This is Mornings with Simi. This is a bad wildfire season. There is no doubt about that. And the wildfire smoke is causing a lot of problems for parts of BC, you know, floating into Alberta and beyond as well. And we know what that's like. We've dealt with those problems here in Metro Vancouver in years past too. It's not getting any better. It's been more than five weeks since the southern half of BC received any significant rainfall. And as the province, you know, moves into now drought conditions that we are dealing with, there's a lot of concern about the, you know, health of populations, animal populations and fish populations too. We're talking more about this uh, right now with the help of UBC Forestry Professor Lori Daniels. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us on this today. Like, I know we talk about wildfires, but we talk about it in terms of the wildfire smoke and, you know, people's homes being affected. But what is this doing to wildlife? Well, the, as you can imagine, there's some wildlife who, like the people, are being evacuated from their homes, needing to get moving out of uh, moving out of the areas where the fires are burning or fires are spreading. They, too, are being impacted by the smoke. Um, the other component of course that maybe is more relevant even for us here in the lower mainland is with the drought the berries um, and the food crops for for the wildlife are really being depleted and so I know in the interior they're asking people a little bit less berry picking this year leave the berries out there for for wildlife and I think we're beginning to see I know up here in the north shore we're beginning to see um, more wildlife down in our neighborhoods because they're running out of food. So all of us need to be kind of bear aware and to make sure that we're not contributing to that bear problem as they're looking desperately for food in this drought and in these smoky conditions. Right. The temptation then there is to feed the wildlife, but that's also not something we should be doing. No, absolutely not. So leaving some berries so that they have the wild, you know, wild foods out there for them. So those would be, you know, the salmon berries, the blueberries, the huckleberries that we're seeing out in the forest this year. Um, and then making sure that all of us are not contributing to a bear problem. So making sure that the, you know, bird feeders are in because they'll look for food in our bird feeders. Um, making sure that we um, have clean barbecues and that we're never putting out recycling our garbage, you know, overnight, um, only first thing in the morning so that we don't create a bear problem. It's a double problem, though, too, isn't it? For bears in particular, when you think about, well, even salmon, there's the salmon is, is not flowing this year the way it would in other years. No, we're really, the salmon have really been impacted by multiple, um, multiple things in recent years. Of course, very low water levels and then warm temperatures make that water much hotter for them. And so we're finding, you know, kind of like us trying to go out and exercise in the heat. It's very stressful on our bodies. Same thing is happening for the salmon and it's having consequence for their ability to get upstream to make it back to, to where they need to spawn. So that's an impact. And then remember the, the big landslide um, into the Fraser River that had such, such impacts on the salmon runs um, a couple of years ago. When we think about those sorts of natural disasters that are compounded on top of this drought, the salmon are stressed and are having a very difficult time. And that, of course, has knock-on effects throughout the ecosystem. So how can we help, Lori? Like, what can we do? Yeah, that's a great question. So clearly we know that um, 
that the the impacts, you know, many of these impacts, we're coming back to this issue around climate change again. We are in, we are experiencing here in British Columbia as we speak, the impacts of climate change and the climate emergency. So this is a moment where all of us can reflect a little bit. How can we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions? How can we um, be supportive of those new public policies or public policies that need to be in place to make sure that Canada meets their targets, um, that we as a nation meet our targets and our commitments to the international community towards contributing to the solution? And that's going to mean changes in the way that, uh, that we consume changes in the way that we contribute to greenhouse gas emissions. So I think all of us have some some steps steps to be taking there. And then, of course, too, watching for, um, you know, in our public parks and spaces, you know, there are amazing organizations that are giving us advice about how to use our parks in ways that lower the impact. So it could be something as simple as leaving some berries for the wildlife. It could be a matter of um, in areas where we know that salmon are spawning in streams and rivers, to, to make sure that we're um, using those parks and, and being protective of those waterways. Right. It's also smart ways. Right. It's, it's not just the wildlife either, right? Like we're talking even the, the livestock and things that we grow for food, they are also being impacted by this drought. Absolutely. We're seeing, we're seeing um, farmers um, and, and um, others having to adapt. All of us are having to adapt um, to, to the impacts of climate change at the moment. So for the rest of this year, then, is this just something, a waiting game we're playing? Or do you think, listen, this is not an anomaly. We're going to be seeing more of this. Oh, I think this is our new reality. So we have seen over the last decade an increase in the number of droughts, the deeper droughts in the summertime. We know that during hot, dry summers, we are going to experience um, more fire. It's not like the lightning ignitions are going away. And in fact, the warmer the temperatures, the more lightning there is. It generates the weather systems that give us lightning, that give us fire ignitions. We still have lots of people in our landscapes, and we know that up to half of fires every year in Canada are started by people. So we still have ignitions unless we also change our behavior and adapt and to be better about making sure that none of us are starting fires. So those are things that we need to be, to be working towards. And then, of course, from a fire perspective, which is you know my primary area of expertise, we all need to be fire smart, not only preventing fires from, from occurring, but being proactive about being prepared for them, making sure our houses and yards are fire smart so that we're protected, even here in the lower mainland. You know, I live in North Vancouver, and there's a beautiful park near my home, but the fire department has put up signs reminding people no smoking, no open flames. If a fire were to break out in that forest today, given how hot and dry it has been, it would become a forest fire that could impact my home and my neighbor's homes. So making sure that we are fire smart, even in urban areas, um, even where we have these beautiful urban forested parks, um, the onus is on us to be prepared. That's so true because we have a tendency to think of wildfires as something that happens, oh, in the interior of the province or somewhere else, not Metro Vancouver. Well, exactly. And yet we know there have been in the last few years fires down in Harrison Hot Springs, up in North Vancouver, out in Squamish. In fact, you know, the first fire last year that had big impacts in 2020 coinciding with, with COVID was up there in Squamish. So we are not immune here on the coast. And there's millions of us here in the lower mainland. Right now, fire danger is extreme. We need to be also very vigilant. No starting fires and be prepared for fires in our community where they too occur. Important stuff. All right, Laurie, thank you for your time.
You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. That's Lori Daniels, UBC Forestry Professor, talking about the impact of, you know, wildfire season as bad as it is this year, plus the, you know, five-week drought that we have gotten going on here in the southern half of the province. Uh, No significant rainfall in that southern half of BC for the last five weeks or so, which means a fire could happen anywhere. And that is some permanent impact that's impacting everything, including the wildlife, livestock, people, you name it. This is Mornings with Simi. Hey, time for us to check in with the Vancouver Whitecaps this morning. And today we have a very special guest. It's Andy Rose, midfielder for the team, joining us now. Hey, good morning, Andy. Hey, Simi, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for being here this morning. How are things going down in Utah these days? Yeah, they're good, thanks. We, uh, you know, it's it's been a little while now. And, um, you know, overall it's been... uh, an awesome adventure, but man, we can't wait to get home. So, so finally, we're we're um, packing our bags and, and coming back to Vancouver. So, we can't wait to get back. Okay, this is very exciting news for all the fans out there. So, you guys are coming back. What I think Sunday, and you're going to start actually training here at home again. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, it's been a. I think we got down here to Salt Lake around April first, but obviously it goes back way further than that. We haven't played at BC Place and since middle of last season so um, we can't wait to, to get back at, you know home first and foremost but then to, to play in front of our fans hopefully um, in August which we, we can't wait for and uh, start training back at UBC next week so yeah it's obviously um, you know it's, there's a lot going on logistically just to, to get everybody back and, and packing the families up and everything but um, it's, it's long overdue we can't wait to get home. Yeah, how difficult has that been for you, like playing on the team, you know, going out and doing those games when it's not like a home game and you're, it feels like everything must be a road game all the time. Yeah, I think the the club did an amazing job in terms of setting all this up, obviously. For the three Canadian teams, that was a big sacrifice in having to play so many games on the road. Um, but all in all, it was it was comfortable and, and we made the best of it here in, in Salt Lake. Um, but absolutely, it just shows you how important the fans are to the game. They're absolutely the most crucial ingredient to everything. And, um, you know, not being able to play at BC Place and have that home crowd behind us has, has certainly been, been challenging. And, you know, you play all these other teams uh, away from home and they've all got, you know, thousands of fans cheering them on. And yeah. uh, that certainly makes a difference. So, yeah, we uh, a lot of our players, you know, are new to Vancouver. They haven't even stepped step foot in the city yet, let alone played at BC Place. So um, it's going to be a really exciting week for, for them to move into new places, get to know the city, um, and then eventually in a few weeks' time, you know, play at home. Oh, it's going to be so great to have you guys back. I know lots of fans are looking forward to it. Now, you have a game this weekend, and you're playing in, I think, Los Angeles this weekend? That's right, LAFC, yep. Okay, and I heard that the head coach of LAFC is actually your father-in-law. Is that right? <laughs> That's correct. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. That must make for some very interesting family dinners. Andy, does that kind of ramp up the competitive level for you? Uh, it sure does. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, always, always fun playing against him and, and my brother-in-law plays for TFC. So um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a lot of fun getting to compete against those guys. And um yeah, my, my wife usually hopes for, for ties in these games, but absolutely, we need the points. So <laughs> looking forward to getting out there and competing for three points. 
Yeah, I was thinking it puts your wife in an awkward position, right? Either you know her <laughs> husband does. wins, or her dad is going to win, or her brother is going to win. It makes it pretty awkward. <laughs> now, it's not easy for her. She's no, a it's it's not. And I know you've had your family down there with you, um, and I understand that one of the kids just turned one. Really tough to celebrate those milestones away from home, Andy. And I know you guys have done an amazing job, so we're really looking forward to having everybody come back home. So thanks for joining us this morning. You got it, Simi. Thanks so much for having us. We, we can't wait to get home. Oh, love to have you back. That's Andy Rose, midfielder for the Vancouver Whitecaps. They've got a game this weekend uh, in Los Angeles. Don't forget, you can listen to that, of course, on our sister station, AM730. And then following that, they're coming back. They'll be back in Vancouver. They'll be resuming training out at UBC, as Andy mentioned, uh, this week. And for fans, that is really something to look forward to. That is our weekly chat with the Vancouver Whitecaps, of course. And make sure you follow along and you can catch their games, pregame, postgame show as well on AM730. This is Mornings with Simi. Elton John song. We know Elton John is planning on coming to town. There's lots of things that are ramping up as we continue to move through phases of our restart plan. We were just talking to the Vancouver Whitecaps. They're coming back. They'll be practicing here in Metro Vancouver starting next week. They're very happy. But what about the entertainment industries? What about films and TV, live music? We've been talking this morning, asking you, what is the next concert? If you're going to get together with a lot of people in a big arena to watch a concert, well, which artist would you want it to be? You can email me, simi at cknw.com. But to break all of this down, joining us now is the CEO of Creative BC, Prem Gill. Good morning, Prem. Hi, Simi. Is this an exciting time for the creative industries right now? Because it seems like things are getting back on track. Yeah, you know, across the creative industries, there's a lot of things happening. And certainly film and television came back, you know, strong into the fall in terms of people getting back to work. And now I do think in terms of live performance and coming together again in person for the music industry is is obviously a really big deal. And we're fortunate that we have a pretty strong and vibrant community here. There's going to be a large, large concerts like Elton John, absolutely. But I think there's also going to be a lot of local talent coming together in smaller venues and festivals, hopefully in the coming weeks and months where people can see local music. Is the planning for that going on behind the scenes right now? Yeah, you know, there's multiple things happening. There's a project that's being led by our industry association here in BC called Music BC, where they've brought together a coalition of public and private funders for a program called Sound On. And this is really an initiative to help support the whether it's live streaming or hybrid event or an in-person event to provide grants to people to actually be able to do that. And I think that's, you know, really important. This kind of funding helps really kickstart events and, and people being able to bring back crews and production staff and everybody that kind of makes an event happen. And uh, they did it last year. It was mostly streaming events. And now it'll be exciting to see some in-person events. So there's Lots of things happening, lots of people working with the you know health officials and WorkSafe BC and, and different venues and organizations, but we're really excited for the Sound On program. Is there a lot of recall of employees going on right now in the industries? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been happening. People, you know, maybe have done other things over the last year, but certainly people are coming back or they've used their skills in similar ways for other types of industries. But definitely, you know, the thing that, uh, like you said earlier, you can't really beat the actual performers and what they're able, what you experience when you see a concert, whether it's in, you know, a small venue like the rickshaw or BC Place. Um, 
And I think that the different types of people that come together to make that creative piece happen is uh, what people are probably really excited about right now, especially in person. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure that there was a year ago, people were saying, oh, I can't imagine that ever happening. That's it. That's the end of, Mm -hmm. you know, going to big concerts. And it doesn't feel that way. I feel like people are ready to jump right back in there. Yeah, I think we've all been, we, you know, we thought we'd ease back into things, but I think definitely you just, you know, some things we've been so fortunate that we've been able to participate and join in streaming events and, and use all of the technical platforms that we have, but certainly, you know, coming together to enjoy it with other people. Wow. Imagine that. (laughs) So true. So will it, once we're like moving through this restart plan after September, uh, will it be, you know, everything back to the way it was before? Will there be any kind of COVID restrictions? Is that going to be left up to the individual like um, venues? Yeah, I think the venues and the the productions themselves will be, you know, determining their protocols like they are with so many things, as as the health officers and officials have said. Um, And, you know, as we've all sort of seen, nothing is sort of like an immediate turn on the switch and everything's back to exactly the same way. I think it's also catering to audiences and how they want to experience things and addressing all kinds of safety protocols. But really, the industry is working collectively together to determine what you know, maybe some broad reaching protocols might be, but also really the venues themselves or festivals and shows will really be determining what works for them. Okay. So in the music industry, then you mentioned a couple of programs there. What can music fans look forward to in the, for the rest of 2021, do you think here in BC? Well, you know, last year, a lot of people spent a lot of time creating new work and new music and new projects. So hopefully we'll start to see maybe some new albums coming out new records and the return of live events, but also, you know, maybe there'll be some new talents that we hadn't seen or heard from before, but also just the return of people coming together to create music together and, and display it for us publicly. I think, honestly, I think that'll be the biggest thing, but also the ability for musicians to start to tour again will be important, whether it's across the province, the country, or even around the world, because that's really important for musicians and you know bands and artists and individuals to be able to actually get out there and be in front of their audiences and fans and to grow that audience space really comes through touring i was thinking yeah there's one thing to be at home you know making all that music but at some point you want to see the reaction of people when they hear your product right exactly i even heard from some bands where they weren't even necessarily coming together to even record music or or create the music because of, you know, COVID restrictions and during certain periods of this. So they were doing it also using, you know, a Zoom technology or something. So even probably even that is pretty exciting for some people to be able to come back and start rehearsing together rather than, you know, virtually. So much to look forward to. Prem, thank you. Thanks, Amy. That's Prem Gill, our CEO of Creative BC, talking about the music industry, particularly here in our province, and what you have to look forward to in the months ahead. Concerts, right? She's saying, listen, the artists are as happy as anybody else to get out there and start performing again for people in, whether it's a small venue, she pointed out, or the large venue, like, say, BC Place. Even I noticed Paul McCartney has new music out. And you know, nothing Paul McCartney loves more than a big arena tour. So I imagine he'll probably want to hit the road too. And I, everybody always talks about what a great concert Paul McCartney is. So that's our question to you this morning. 
So that next big concert, because now we really appreciate it, right? You haven't been able to go for a couple of years and you're thinking, okay, I have to appreciate this the next time it happens. You're in an arena with so many other people listening to, you know, your favorite artist perform. Who's it going to be? Who is that band or what is that band or that artist that you want to go and check out in concert for the next event that you go to? Let me know, simi at cknw.com.